All right, so we are wrapping up our series. We've been taking the whole summer going through the book of Ephesians. The last couple of weeks we slowed down. We were doing a chapter a week, and then chapter four got really heavy, really intense, and it felt like drinking out of a fire hose. So we slowed down. We broke up the last two chapters over three weeks, but the, today is the final conclude, concluding message of Ephesians. Before I get into this, I was thinking about today, and I really dropped the ball because... Today is Labor Day. Tomorrow's Labor Day, but today is the Labor Day Classic. And I realized, so, so Morgan doesn't understand what the significance of this is, okay? So you have, coming from Kansas, you have the Chiefs, and they're pretty good. So you got all of that. But in Canada, we, have, we still watch the Super Bowl, but it's kind of not as important, okay? So we have the CFL. And so more important than the Super Bowl, we have the Grey Cup. I almost botched that. Um, but in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, we have another game that's even more important. It's called the Labor Day game. For everyone who's not from Saskatchewan or Manitoba, you don't understand the significance of this game. This is a big game. And just the sheer mention of this game, just like the green in us just starts getting riled up like... Ugh. Um, so we are currently on a five-game winning streak in the, in the Labor Day Classic. All of our Winnipeg fans, eat it. Uh, but don't turn me off. you got to keep watching. Um, over the course of this game, Saskatchewan's got the winning record of 26, to 17, 26 wins to 17 losses at the Labor Day game. Uh, it's been five years since we lost the last one. That is the longest streak that has been maintained in this game. Hoping for six to make it even longer. Uh, and it's the fascinating thing about this game, it doesn't matter what the stats are, it doesn't matter how good each team is going, this game tends to be a close one, it tends to be a classic. There's one exception, one year we beat Winnipeg 56-4. to As a Ryder fan, that's still a classic. Nothing like drum in Winnipeg, like that is, that's a classic in my books, but you know, people like to, like a close game, we like to just defense and everyone's just back and forth da, 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 da. so today's the labor day game the whole province shuts down for this one manitoba same thing whole province shuts down for this game it's a big one <clears throat> but i start there because i was reminded of a really interesting video by the skit guys maybe you've seen it a couple people are smiling so that means yes you've seen this one uh, if you haven't, don't wreck it, or if you have, don't wreck it for someone who hasn't. Um, but I want to set this up because I think it's a good disclaimer prequel to what we're going to talk about this morning. So here's the video. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. 
They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Just let that one sink in a little bit. Now, I'm not bashing watching football, okay? I am the biggest fanatic as when it comes to... But I have become, thanks to that video, I've become more aware of not allowing it to completely derail my day if my team loses. And that's not just football, that's every sport. They picked on football because it is a big thing. And it's not just in Canada. We know, like, the states for the NFL... Stats have shown between September and December, all churches within driving distance of an NFL team lose half their guys on the Sunday of a home game. Why? Because they got to go, they got to tailgate, they got to have their wiener, you know, they got to just, they're committed. And my point isn't to bash football and it's like, don't go watch a football game. I'm going today, okay? Like just, <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is, is as we get ready to talk about the last part of chapter 6, and Paul unpacks this whole idea of spiritual warfare, it is amazing how we, we are facing an enemy who can take something like football and turn it into an idol that distracts us from our relationship with God. He can use something like football, a pigskin, a ball, a couple guys crashing into each other, and turn it into... Something that takes us away from the gathering of God's people. Something that scripture is so implicit about that we have to be together. There's something special that happens when God's people come and worship and pray together and speak life into each other. And our enemy has taken something (laughs) like a ball and drawn away half of congregations away from their gatherings to just watch a four-hour game of football. And I start there because we are facing an enemy that is cunning, he is deceptive, and he's very good at what he does. So with all that, we're diving in. Chapter 6, starting at verse 10. A final word from Paul. Paul is letting the church know this is the end of the chapter. It's been a long one. We get it. But this is a conclusion, but this is a big conclusion. We want you to pay attention Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So in these first three verses, Paul's... Paul says three really big things, and these are things that he, it's not the first time he's talked about this stuff. This is stuff that he has said to almost all of the churches he has written to. He starts off by saying, be strong. Be strong. And it's not just Paul. God said it to Moses. God said it to Moses. Moses said it, God said it to Joshua. Get that right. 
God has said it to every single one of his prophets, every one of his kings that were faithful to him. Be strong. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. These are words that the Bible has used. Why? Because Paul is not talking, saying that because we have become Christians and we have become saved by our, from our sins, that everything's going to go good for us all the time. That things just come up daisies every single morning. You'll never get sick. You'll never be poor. You'll never, get, you'll never struggle with anything. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, be strong. Why? Because life's tough. And he doesn't, he doesn't undermine that. He doesn't shy away from that. He says life is going to throw you curveballs because we, we face an enemy that is trying to derail us day in, day out with so many different strategies. So he says, be strong. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Hold on to the good news of the gospel. Hold on to the truth that the Holy Spirit is in you and strengthens you and gives you all wisdom and ability and gifts to face everything. Stay strong. Because life's going to get tough. Now remember, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church where uh, just being a Christian meant there's all kinds of persecution that we don't face yet. But Scripture tells us that if we are going to follow God, there's going to be tough times coming. That people will be opposed to us, that we will have, we'll face difficulties, that family members will turn on each other. This is all in the scriptures, all from Jesus. Life is tough. And God says that he can use all the tough things in life to make us stronger, to refine our character, to make us into the men and women that he's called us to be. But in the midst of it, in the midst of when we're tempted to give up, in the midst of when we're tempted to just walk away and try to find an easier path, Paul says, stay strong. Hold on. Don't waver. Stay strong in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the strategies. And I think so often this is so important. Paul says, it's so important that Paul says it twice in two verses, or in the span of three verses. Put on all of God's armor. Put on everything that he has given you. Why? Because we as people are prone to just put on the parts that we like. Right? I like, I like reading, so I'm just going to focus on God's word. I'm going to get really good at that. But I, eh, that breastplate is heavy. Righteousness is hard. So I'm just going to leave that one off to the side. I like the idea of truth, so I got the belt on. But, eh, I don't know if I, yeah, my faith, uh, I think I'm just going to leave that off to the side because, you know, I, I, I value my mind over faith, so faith, eh, just let that one go, and all of a sudden we've got a guy with a sword and a belt. You're not a Spartan. If you don't understand that reference, Spartans used to fight with swords and shields and nothing else. They fought naked. You're not a Spartan. You need all of it. We need to put on the whole armor. And, I think, and I, as I was thinking about it, so often in my own life, and I'm sure you can relate to this, so often I wonder how often time has, life has been tough, not because of everything that the devil in life has thrown at us, but because I have forgotten a chunk of the armor. And I have unfortunately made it harder on myself than I had to. Because it's hard. It's hard to maintain. It's hard to keep everything in place and make sure that it's staying strong and refining it and 
it's, it's hard, so we take shortcuts and we lose, a, we lose a couple pieces along the way just to kind of make sure we can balance life. And I would say to you that if you're finding life out of balance, you're finding life difficult, it's because you've been dropping the pieces along the way. If you take the time to focus on your faith and the righteousness and the truth and your salvation and all the parts that we're going to talk about with the armor, life's going to get easier. Life will get better because you are equipped to handle the struggles that come your way. It's not that the struggles go away. That's not what makes it easier. You're better equipped to face the struggles when they come. That's a big difference. It's not God taking the struggle away. It's God equipping you so that you can take on the struggle head on, overcome it with ease because you have all the right equipment to get it done. Paul closes this first section verse 12 unpacking this whole idea there's principalities and powers and rulers and evil spirits in the heights and and it's like what is going on here why are you going into all this detail paul and this verse can so often be taken one of two ways and two both these ways are wrong okay that's why i'm saying it if you've heard it i'm saying it's wrong to do it this way The first one is, well, if he's talking about rulers and principalities, he's talking about governments and kings, and he's talking about people. So that's what we we have to stand up against the governments. We have to stand up against the the ruling authorities because they're all evil. Well, that's not what Paul said. Paul literally starts the verse by saying, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So he's not talking about governments. He's not talking about kings. He's not talking about people because if our battle's not against flesh and blood, it can't be people that are the problem. The flip side of it is people will take this verse and unpack it. Oh, well, then, you know, there's this demon and this this one and they rank and they they talk. No, do not over-spiritualize this. Paul is not talking, Paul is not inviting us to do, take up this whole big theology of demonology and trying to unpack every single name of every single demon that it, no, it's not what Paul's doing either. What Paul is simply saying is that we do not face a simple one-trick pony enemy, but we face an enemy that has a whole kingdom behind him. Just as God has his kingdom of light, Satan will try to pervert and imitate everything God has done. So there's a kingdom of light, he's got his kingdom of darkness. And there's ranks, and there are enemies, and there are armies, and there are all kinds of strategies that he is using. And they all have one purpose. And that is to derail you, to disrupt your relationship with God, and to make sure that you do not become the man and woman of God that he has called you to become. And so he's saying that you cannot put the guard down because there's a thousand and one ways that our enemy is going to try and get you off the path. And I was reading one commentator, and he said, so often... What believers will do is just pretend that there isn't a fight going on. We just won't fight. We just, we just, that's not, and what Paul is saying is that that's not an option. You are in a war. There's a spiritual battle that so much of the world doesn't realize is happening. You have been enlisted. You are a soldier because what has happened when you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior is you draw a line in the sand. You've declared the devil as your enemy. 
And now his sole purpose is to make sure you regret that decision every single day of your life. And so he's coming after you. And if you're not fighting back, you're just an easy target. And he's just going to keep hammering you. He's just going to keep hitting you. He's just going to keep knocking you down. Because if you ever got back up, you might actually become a threat to him. You are in a war. There's a, fought, there's a fight to be fought. And you have a choice. You either put on the armor and you fight it the way God has called you to fight it with spiritual armor and spiritual weapons and spiritual ways. Or you can try to ignore it, but it doesn't actually get you out of the fight. It just makes you the kick dog of the fight. And by ignoring it, you're actually making life harder. But wait, doesn't fighting in the fight make life harder? No, it actually makes it easier. Because if you don't resist, you don't push back, you don't keep the enemy at bay, he is just going to have his way with you. There's a fight. There's an enemy. He is cunning. He is deceptive. He is strong. And one of the things that I have noticed um, in, the <laughs> in leaders that are coming up behind us is they, they talk very willy-nilly about our enemy. The devil is not to be taken lightly. In Jude, it talks about this scenario where, Saint, where the archangel Michael is talking to Satan about the location of Moses' body. Why are they talking about that? Well, Moses went up on a mountain and he died, but the body was never found. So these two are talking about it. They're discussing where is the body. And Michael, the archangel, God's right hand beside Jesus, the most powerful spiritual being in the heavenly places, will not, he will not take on the devil without, take, without invoking the name of Jesus along the way. And Michael, the greatest of all the angelic hosts, will not take on the devil, without Jesus' name being invoked, without the power of Jesus flowing through him, because he understands that we, ser- that we are facing a spiritual and, an <clears throat> and a powerful enemy, one that is not to be taken lightly. And he never stops working. He's got armies, he's got kingdoms. Everywhere there is darkness, Satan has established his foothold. He's established himself as the emperor. He's established himself as the ruler of our dark world. And, and he's coming. And the question is, are you ready? And how can you be ready? Well, verse 13, we're going to start unpacking the armor of God. What is the armor of God? How does it apply? What's its purpose? And how is it going to help us overcome the struggles and temptations and everything that's coming our way? So starting in verse 13, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. Remember I said twice, Paul says in this chapter, put on the whole armor so that you will stand, so that after the battle, after the hardship, after everything that you go through, you will still be found standing after the enemy has been defeated. So stand, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So Paul said, Paul, when he's describing the armor of God, remember he's in jail He's under house arrest. He has a Roman bodyguard that is with him day in, day out, 
Most of the time, he was probably chained to the man. So as he's describing the armor, he's looking at a soldier wearing all these pieces. And so he's, he's using a very visual example for a very spiritual thing that we need to take part and apply to our lives. And so he starts off, he says, the belt of truth. On a Roman soldier, everything connected to the belt. So they would put the belt on first, the breastplate would click into it. There was a part for the shield to be attached to it so that he could carry it on his back. He didn't have to put it on his arm all the time. There was a spot for his sword to attach to it. The belt was probably one of the most important pieces because it kept everything in place. If it was put on right, things wouldn't shift. They wouldn't move. Because the worst thing that could happen is your breastplate not being on your breast. Now you're open to an attack. So that belt had to be secure. It had to be solid. It had to be immovable. And Paul is not does not make a mistake. Truth is the one thing that's going to keep all these other parts in the exact place, being used exactly the way they need to be used. And it's not just any truth that will do this. Do not be deceived by the truth of the world, or this is my truth. These are all deceptions of the devil to keep you off track. There's only one truth that will keep you in line, keep everything in place, and it is the truth taught by God's word, all of God's word, from front to back, and anything that is contrary to what is taught here is a lie. So it's not just to say, oh, I'm putting on my truth, and it's going to, no, because your truth's going to put everything in the wrong spot. Guarantee it. It's God's truth and God's truth alone because God's truth is the one thing that hasn't changed from the moment it was written to the day we all enter eternity and there's a new heaven and a new earth. God is unchanging. His truth is unchanging. And so if you want to put on that belt, it starts right here. The body armor of righteousness. Now, it's funny that NLT uses body armor. Because more, more, most translations say breastplate. The, the shield that went from your shoulders to your waist. Clicked in. The breastplate was normally made out of like a heavy leather. It, in some cases, it was metal. It was designed to protect you from short combat. So it, keep, it would help you deflect a sword off. It would keep you from those glancing blows. But most importantly, the breastplate protected What? All your vital organs. That's a good one to have in the right spot. It's a good one to have on because I like having my stomach and my lungs where they are. Most importantly, I like my heart not having a hole in it. And Paul uses breastplate, breastplate as the example for righteousness because when we, because your righteousness does not come from anything you do, it doesn't come from anything you say. You are made righteous by Jesus and by Jesus alone. Because Jesus is the only one who is truly righteous. So when we declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior and sac- surrender our life to him, he comes into our life, he fills us with our spirit, and he makes us righteous. And because you have been made righteous, you are to live righteously. And what is righteous living? It is following God's command. It's living in a way that is honoring and God-fearing. It is doing the right thing, not because of what feels right to you, but it's the right thing because of what God has taught you to do. And what righteousness righteousness does for us is it protects us from guilt, it protects us from regret, it protects us from questioning all of these things that ultimately target the heart. 
Righteousness protects our heart because when we start to feel guilty and we start to feel regret and we start to feel these things, we actually start to pull away from God. And so righteous living, righteousness is designed to protect our heart so that our heart can stay true to God, stay true to what we've been called to, and it doesn't distract us from the things that God is calling us into. The breastplate of righteousness, righteous living, is designed to protect the heart. The shoes of the readiness of the gospel or the good news, I can't remember the wording the NLT uses, it's really wordy. But anyways, talking about the shoes. For a Roman soldier, those shoes were cleated. They would have little studs in the bottom. Why? Because a Roman soldier had to be able to traverse any terrain. And they had to be able to fight under any conditions. So they could fight in the snow, they could fight in mud, they could fight when it's dry, they could fight in anything because their shoes were cleated and when that foot sit down, it wasn't moving. Because the worst thing that could happen on the battlefield, the worst thing that could happen in a march was you slipping around, sliding because you roll an ankle or you fall down and now you're vulnerable to an attack. Your shoes, your feet had to be firm. And so Paul's looking at this and he looks at our life and he says that you need, to be, you need to be reminded of the good news that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, to make you new so you could have a relationship with God. And because of what Jesus did, you now have peace with God Almighty. You don't have to live looking over your shoulder. You don't have to live thinking that God is mad at you and he's going to punish you. And he's gonna, no, God is proud of you. God loves you. God has peace with you. And knowing that God loves you and goes before you and you can't do anything to disappoint God. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. And that truth is what enables us to walk with confidence because when we don't have that truth and we don't have that peace, anxiety creeps in and fear creeps in and we question ourselves and we question, we start to question everything. And all of a sudden we're slipping and we're sliding. The good news should give you peace beyond measure, should fill your heart with love that is overflowing. The good news of the gospel should make you completely unwavering. And so often we don't actually know what the good news is. And because we don't know, we waver. We waver in our faith. We waver in our calling. We waver in so many different things. And Paul's saying, Put on the good news. Remind yourself of the good news that you now have peace beyond understanding. You don't have to waver. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid. Stand strong. Next is the helmet of salvation. Now, obviously, now there's all kinds of different helmets in the Roman soldier. Depending on your rank, you probably had one that came over your face. Most guys had one that just sat on the top of his head. But obviously, the helmet, important one, protect the brain. Like my brain, right where it is. Thank you very much. Put the helmet on. Make sure it stays there. And Paul's looking at this, and he recognizes the fact that so many of our battles, so many of the things that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis, the battle is won and lost in the mind. So many temptations, so many thoughts, so many, so much bitterness, so much of everything falls in the mind. And so Paul says you need to hold on and allow, because what has God called it to? God has asked us to have our minds renewed 
renewed by the Spirit, renewed by His love, so that we think differently, we approach life differently, so when those battles come, salvation is the thing that protects us from wavering and falling and stumbling. We lose way less battles when we take a mindset that we are saved and nothing's ever going to change that. We think differently, we talk differently. So Paul says salvation is the thing that should be protecting our mind should be protecting our thoughts, should be protecting our words. It should sit there like a helmet. The shield of faith. For a Roman soldier, the shield was about four feet tall. It was supposed to, designed to go from his knees to his shoulders. So mine would be taller than some of yours. But anyways, that was the length. The shield was designed to repel arrows. So where your breastplate was designed to protect you from close combat... The shield was designed so that when the archers were firing at you, you put the shield up and you'd be protected. The shield only got stronger because when, you would when soldiers would line up on the rows, those shields would actually lock into place and become a wall that was only as strong as the guy next to you. And it was designed to go on your back because on the rare occasion that a Roman soldier or a Roman army had to retreat, you don't want an arrow in the back. So the shield could actually be attached to your back and protect your backside because if you look at all the other armor, there's nothing back there. You are exposed, you're open, so chink, problem solved. And Paul uses faith as our shield because what does the devil like to do? He likes to stand off and he likes to lob his little comments of doubt at you. God really isn't who he says he is. God doesn't love you. God is too busy doing other things. He can't help you. You're not called to this. This isn't your lot in life. And on and on, he lobs his lies and he lobs his doubts and he tries to make you question your worth and God's goodness and God's power and his strength. And God doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, he does. He doesn't get in close. He stands back and he yells these things at you. Like an army from an air, with arrows standing back, lobbing their darts, lobbing these things at you, trying to make you waver. And so Paul says, in order to combat these high-flying arrows, these lies that are being lobbed at you, you need your shield. Because it is your faith, it is your relationship with God that says, no, God is everything he says he is. And God will do everything he says he will do. And I am everything that God has said I am. And I will do everything that God is because of my faith. And take your lies, devil. Our faith. Is it all, and not that doubt is a bad thing. We've so often in church talked about doubt as if it is this awful, bad thing that you should never do. No, doubt's okay. Because doubt, with, doubt leads to questions, and sometimes questions lead us down good paths that strengthen our faith and make our shield better. But sometimes we rest in our doubt. Sometimes we stay in those questions. And because we don't make the effort to find the answers that God wants us to find, we just kind of wander we fill in the blanks with things that we think are right, and all of a sudden we've put down that shield, and doubt has turned into unbelief, and unbelief has turned into inability to even recognize God's voice anymore. Your faith is your shield that needs to protect you from those lies, because those lies come, and they come often, they come frequent, they are unrelenting. And the last thing, 
the sword. Oop, did I? I did do that. I knew it. Now, <laughs> any reason to pull out my sword? That's, that's really all this is. It's just... Um, the only thing that this sword actually has in common with a Roman sword is that it's double-edged. This actually would have been way too big for a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier would have had something that was about half this size. He would have wanted a dagger because when it came to close combat, he didn't want to have to like sw- keep you at bay. And this is tiring. I know I'm not in that good of shape. But for, even for a soldier, you wing that thing around all day, it's going to get tiring. He wants something shorter. He wants something a little bit broader so it can take. And he wants to get in close. It would have been more like a dagger. And the sword being the word of God is such an appropriate one because our, the word of God has done so much damage because it has been used so wrong. The reason Paul starts off by saying that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual is because we have used this thing on people. We have hurt people with this thing. Maybe not you specifically, but the church in general. We have used, we have cut, we have slashed, and Hebrews talks about it being sharper cuts to bone and marrow and spirit we have really done some irreparable damage using the word of god improperly and so we need to make sure that this sword is not used against each other it's not used against people this is designed to be a weapon to be used against the spiritual enemy because what happens when we use it on people who are not spiritual is we cause damage Think about the amount of damage that has been caused by the word of God on unsuspecting people. And imagine if it had been actually turned around in a positive way and used on the devil like it was supposed to be. The church may not have slipped as far as it has. It may not have lost its effectiveness and its vision and its drive. The word of God is so powerful. It's so dangerous. And we take it so granted and we've used it in such a horrible, awful way. That's not going to stay there. <clears throat> I was reading one commentator. He made the comment that it's not just knowing the word of God in those times of battle with the spiritual enemy, but it's actually having the right words of God for the battle. Because when we're being tempted, I'm going to use this example. When you're be, if you're being tempted with sexual temptation, what good is it to start reciting John 3.16? John 3.16 is a great verse. I'm not undermining that. You know, we were saved because God has sent his son. I get all of that. But that doesn't do you any good. You need the right words for the right situation. So if you're being tempted with sexual, then you go to Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy to flee from sexual immorality. That sexual immorality has no place amongst God's holy people. Those are the right words. Those are the right scripture. But we, I've said it lots. So often we just don't spend enough time in God's word. We don't know the word. And so when we need it most, it's simply not there to protect us. It's not just using God's word in, in battle. It's using the right words for the right battle. And the last weapon that we so often glaze over and so often forget, but it's the most important one, is to pray. Pray in all situations. Pray in all circumstances. Do you know how, why, a Roman's, why a Roman army is so effective back in the day? It's because they had good leaders. The army didn't just go and do whatever it wanted and marched willingly. It would have been absolute chaos. In the Roman army, there would have been order, there was structure, there was chain of command. 
And so Paul is telling the church the same thing. There's a chain of command. We need to be connected to who? The commander-in-chief, our king. We need to be getting our marching orders daily, hourly, minutely. Secondly, those are not words, but like that often. We need to be constantly praying because even when we are in a good situation and we think we got it handled, why not go to the one who is the commanding officer, who is the all-knowing, who is the source of all knowledge and wisdom to give us the extra little boost to handle it perfectly. Pray in all situations. Pray in every occasion because God is highly vested and he doesn't... God is just as concerned about the little things in your life, the things that we think are meaningless, and as he is about the big things. Last week we talked about all these relationships and how we're supposed to raise our children with godly teaching. Well, how can we raise them with godly teaching if we're not going to God saying, God, teach me first so I can teach my kids? Pray in every occasion, every circumstance, so that God can lead you and guide you into the good and marvelous things he's got. And so that you can be in unison with where God is trying to take the church. Worst thing that happens in a Roman army, someone goes rogue. Worst thing that happens in the church, someone goes rogue. There's a hierarchy, there's order. Follow If we follow Jesus and follow his instruction and his guiding, he will lead us and keep us from chaos, and keep us from disorder, keep us from division, so that we can continue to move in the way that God has called us to move. Paul closes, verse 19. Pray for me too. Ask, ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mystery, mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I'll keep on speaking boldly for him as I should to bring you up to date, Tychicus is, will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He's a beloved helper and brother, blood brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. So Paul closes by, t- by asking the church to pray for him. As Paul gets older, it's amazing as we read his letters. He's very boisterous. He's very strong he's in his early letters. But as he gets older and as he starts to get to the end of his ministry and the end of his life, he starts to become more vulnerable with the churches. And what is he saying at the beginning here? He's saying that I am losing heart. I'm recognizing that I'm starting to lose some of my boldness. and I need you to pray for me that I don't lose it completely, that I can stay bold, I can continue to say the things that need to be said to communicate the message to those who need it. And it's a great reminder for the church to be praying for the pastors because this is not an easy job. It's hard. There are struggles. We do it because we love the church and we love you guys and we want to see you do become. But it is hard. And so remember to pray for your leaders, and not just your spiritual leaders. Pray for all your leaders, because any form of leadership, especially the higher it goes, the harder it gets. Because there's so much temptation, there's so much struggle, there's so many eyes watching, wanting you to fall, wanting you to make a mistake. So pray for your leaders. To close... Uh, I'm going to, Paul closes with a blessing that he praises over the church. I'm going to close by praying this over you. So I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, I pray a blessing, get the worship team to come on up.
Verse 23, Paul says this, and I pray this over you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you the love, give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. May peace and grace fill you. May the love of God overwhelm you. May you be empowered and encouraged throughout this day, throughout this week, to do all that God has called you to do, to be the men and women he's asked you to be. And know and trust that God is with you every day, through every battle, every struggle, everything that you're going to face. God is there with you. God, strengthen us to be the church you've called us to be. In your precious name I pray.